The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On the round table this morning, Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Toronto lawyer Karima Sad is on the line and in Ottawa this morning, so that'll possibly inform one of the uh, stories we're going to talk about. But I want to give one last kick at the can to talking about Toronto and taxation and mill rates and a sales tax. I'm sure you folks were following along yesterday. It was a fairly vivid debate at Toronto City Council, but also fairly firm vote for um, the mayor. Uh, I think it was uh, 13 to 7, uh, or no, 16 to 7, in favor of asking, begging the province to allow us to have a sales tax. Tim Hudak, I'll start with you. Uh, this is not the first time around this particular mirror go around, right? This is a, a regular request from the city of Toronto, the municipalities for new taxing authority. You got closest with the McGuinty government. Uh, back in about, let me think about that, 2009, 2010, the results in the City of Toronto Act with more limited taxing authorities. So here's my answer on this, John. Uh, it's not going to happen now. I cannot see the Ford government doing this, but I think it happens eventually. When you look uh, south of the border, so many American uh, cities that uh, do have their own individual sales tax, uh, it is actually a much more efficient way to collect taxes and putting you know more taxes on homes. One of the big reasons why we have an affordability crisis on housing in Toronto is because of land transfer tax, right? So you know, getting away from that sort of crack cocaine of taxation, something more predictable. But in return, you have to control spending, you have to reduce costs, you have to have competitive agreements, much more affordable union contracts. There's got to be a quid pro quo. I just don't see that exchange coming in the next three years. Okay, Kareem Assad, Tim Hudak was saying it's an efficient tax. It's also a fairer tax because sales tax, it depends on, you know, how rich a lifestyle you want to live. Also, it taxes people who don't necessarily live in the jurisdiction, but are using some of our resources. Yeah, that's right. Um, and kind of along those lines, um, the vacancy tax is uh, something that it, it, it on its own won't resolve any sort of housing crisis, but it does change the cost analysis for someone to have an empty unit sitting there versus it could be occupied and addressing the supply issue. Yeah, but then enforcing that one, I don't know. Do we have to have empty house inspectors? I'm not sure. We have found Edgewa and Sia Yabois, who joins us uh, <laughs> with the show in progress. Um, yeah. Any thoughts? I, I don't remember where you pay taxes. I, I pay taxes in bonds, so I'm not uh, impacted by the city of Toronto. Uh, but this, if it's um, the municipal land transfer tax on luxury homes, it'll bring in some revenue. Like uh, Karima said, that it's, it's not going to solve uh, the problem of our deficit and uh, helping out our budget, but it's a good addition to it. So I think it's it's actually a good thing in the long run. Uh, Karima Sada, I mentioned that you're in Ottawa. That's where we had day two yesterday of the trial of two people who were sort of the ringleaders of the convoy protests. Are you actually in the courtroom or are you covering the people who sort of flit about it? I've been uh, more out side um, up to this point, although receiving updates from the courtroom, it's uh, interesting the what goes on outside the courthouse as well. Okay, well tell us about that. I mean, one thing I noticed in the CTV Network report last night was that the two defendants were actually heckled by a few people on their way into court, and they sort of see themselves as popular folk heroes. Yeah, there was uh, a couple of people there to express their 
unhappiness, let's put it that way, uh, with the convoy organizers, um, which created a little bit of a scene. I I can't say for sure, but it looks like there may be um, at least one security detail that's part of um, this team that walks around. So I don't think that there was ever any physical threat. um, But you know, this is in contrast to maybe a dozen or, or fewer people who have showed up um, to uh, enthusiastically support Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Um, so, you know, there's kind of clashes that happen as a result of that. There was an inspector, a police inspector, on the stand yesterday in Adjua. Not surprising, I think most of us witnessed this um, through coverage, that the thing did start off fairly peaceable, and then it got more and more belligerent, and then it turned into a standoff. Exactly. Just from what he, he was saying, people came there to protest whether you agreed or not with the COVID-19 rules and people were very peaceful. There was no honking of the horns. There was no being belligerent then as the people that were just there to protest started to leave and the people that were there for maybe a different agenda, it just turned into a complete melee. There were what they were fireworks going off, the incessant horns. So they were disrupting the neighborhood. The interesting thing that um, I think it was the, the person on trial, I think his name was Lucas, the police officer. He was saying that he almost wished that there was sort of a, a middle ground or a meeting of the minds where he could have allowed the truckers to actually be on Parliament Hill so they wouldn't go into the neighborhoods and maybe there could have been some no, sort of nego- no, negotiation. I'm not necessarily sure if that would have happened. But maybe that could have been something that could have been addressed. And we did not know that at the time. But it was it was a crazy situation, especially for people that were living in Ottawa. Yeah. And Tim Hudak, you know, I, I review this testimony every morning from the previous day in court. I find it an in- interesting story. I'm not compelled yet that it's necessarily going to amount to a criminal conviction. I think the civil case is going to be more interesting. Yeah, I think you have a good point there, uh, John, in, in both respects. And what I'll add to this conversation, too, is just a, a lesson in, in life. Um, he ought to know your time to walk off the stage. And certainly Convoy had a lot of momentum. I remember, because I'd pass under them, the overpasses along the QEW and our highways filled with people cheering them on. They had momentum that helped to break down some of the barriers to personal activity and liberties that had existed for far too long. But then you stay too long on the stage, like moss to flame, you attract the wackos, and you can see see what happened behind the scenes in that deterioration. Let me stay with you because this is very much a housing issue and real estate issue, and that is New York City has effectively banned Airbnb, and one wonders if maybe Toronto is going to look at this. I get the feeling that the Airbnb lobby in Toronto is stronger than it is in New York because New Yorkers don't put up with that kind of stuff. Well, a couple thoughts. I, I like Airbnb. I use Airbnb. When we traveled recently to Italy, I used Airbnb. I like to live in neighborhoods. I think that is a great opportunity for people that are trying to pay the mortgage and, and their bills to share their place when they're not there, for example. So I don't like what's effectively a ban. Let me put the housing hat on. John, we need to focus on actually getting more homes built, more apartments built. Every ounce of energy, every minute of time bureaucrats spend on schemes where they're running around inspecting on people developing new programs, new reporting mechanisms, new laws. That's time that could have been put to tearing down outdated bylaws and getting more homes built. That's the ultimate solution. Let's not get distracted by shiny baubles. Although, Karima, in New York City, it's estimated there were 40,000 or are 40,000 units that are currently being used as temporary uh, units, and they could become full-time homes. That's a pretty big bump in housing. 
Yeah, that's a significant number. And I think that, you know, the concept of Airbnb, where it is uh, a supplement to your income and it's primarily your home and you rent it out when you're not there. I, I don't know how often that's the case in practice. I think that as the app developed, um, people started using it as a, a way to get more from their rental properties. And in Ontario in particular, um, the laws that would apply to tenants um, don't apply to Airbnb. So it's a much more flexible arrangement. So, it, you know, if it puts units back in the housing circulation, I think that's good. Although I, I agree with Tim that um, kind of enforcement and resources spent in that direction um, may, you know, not yield fruit. And apparently the figure Joe Cristiano is telling me for Toronto is 16,000 homes or units. And again, that would be a pretty serious bump. We're trying to build 50,000, aren't we? And that would be 16 flooding onto the market, Adjua. Uh, yeah, it would be a significant. And when you think of it, this whole idea, uh, they're saying, uh, if you're taking away Airbnb, Airbnb is saying, uh, in New York in particular, that it, it's basically ending Airbnb because you'd have to share um, a room with somebody else. Like, the person that owns the Airbnb would have to actually be in the apartment. Most people use it because they want the entire facility. It, it's a good thing if it's somebody that this is not their property, it's their property, but they don't live there. They just bought it just to make money off of it. And if that's going to help a housing crisis and a housing shortage, I think it is a good thing. If the person is still living there and it's a weekend rental, I think you just have to look at the rules and how it's run and maybe pinpoint that. But by basically almost eradicating it and making people actually stay in the place with somebody else, yeah, I don't think so. That's that's not a good thing. Interesting profile today of a Canadian woman who lives near the border with the U.S. And she's been saving money by going south to buy her groceries in the U.S. Worth noting, the American grocery store is 15 minutes away. The Canadian grocery store is 45 minutes away. Uh, but Tim, you can kind of identify with this, I guess, because you from time to time are living fairly close to the border. And used to work that border and see the shoppers right. come across on a regular basis. It was, it was much greater, I, I think, um, you know, decade, 20 years ago than it uh, is uh, today um, for various reasons behind that. But look, I, people <laughs> people should shop, right? Love everybody to business in Canada, no doubt about it. But you got to make ends meet. You got to put food on the table for the kids. And if you can find the best deals, whether that's through uh, online purchases across the border, you do that. And that puts pressures on other operators to do better. I've always felt too the customs officer's job is not really to be there as a nickel and dime tax collector on every purchase, but actually go against more enforcement problems related to drugs, weapons, and criminal elements. That should be their focus as a police force, not tax collectors. Right. And food is exempt, right? If you're crossing the border having gone grocery shopping, you don't have to pay, pay duty That's on that, a, do you? A, another good observation, that the uh, the changes with uh, with NAFTA and, uh, and food uh, not having the duty on top of it, a lot of those basics, uh, you get across with uh, minimal uh, levels of taxes. Okay, one last dessert-like topic, and uh, hopefully you've had some time to think about it. Adjua, I was looking at all the memorabilia from Freddie Mercury and how much people spent on it, and I got curious as to whether any of our pundits are collectors of memorabilia, and if not, if you would like to, but, you know, too expensive. Um, I'm a music head. I love music, uh, pretty much every genre. So when it comes down to it for me, I 
I love Rage Against the Machine. I love The Smiths. So for me, if I could own anything, like I've gotten a few set lists, some guitar picks from both bands. So yeah, I don't know if I could, like I'm thinking like if I could get one of Morrissey's guitars, something like that once he's either selling it or just gone, that, that'd be a great thing. That'd be, that'd be the it for me. Karima, I, you don't strike me as a memorabilia crea- uh, collector. I am not. Um, I am not huge into stuff and having stuff around me. Um, but if, you know, I had unlimited money, I, I think I probably would invest in a couple of pieces of uh, wrestling memorabilia. Um, they actually had the shears for Brutus, the Barbus, uh, the beefcake. <laughs> they were on sale. And I was like, I, this is my rent money. I can't do that. <laughs> there you go. Okay, last word and quickly, Tim Hudak. In my 80s basement, Queen News of the World, and framed on my wall my very first album that I ever owned. John, and other interesting things about the 80s room, I got a guitar signed by all members of Triumph. I've got a signed copy, well, this is 90s, I guess, of Mean Girls script. And my prize that Deb got for me, a Space Invaders vintage game from an arcade from 1979. Wow, okay, you went full hog. Thank you, all three of you. Great roundtable. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.